the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. April 20th, 2022. Just a slight directional note. Usually I open the show with a monologue, and we'll do that on occasion. Uh, Today we're going to shift it up a little bit. We're going to do the monologue at the top of the third hour. Uh, For those that uh, tune in for it and don't tune in in the third hour or whatever, uh, just remember everything that we do on this show is available uh, and are on our website, 960thepatriot.com, 960thepatriot.com to get any interviews or my monologues or anything. But we'll be doing that uh, in the third hour. I think I'm going to do that for a bit. The only difference will be if I have a guest in the third hour, uh, which uh, which is uh, sometimes unavoidable, unavoidable and perfectly fine, too. Okay, that's uh, that's just for uh, <laughs> confusing the enemies, I suppose. Um, interesting thing that uh, I wanted to talk about with the federal judge uh, who in uh, in Florida who ended uh, the mask mandate, Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel. Uh, I mentioned it a couple of days ago when it first broke. Uh, she is uh, she's a you know a hero of mine for for her I think impeccable decision and great ruling. Uh, she's also uh, the product of a program that Ryan Williams, myself, uh, a scholar named Hadley Arcus, uh, who's been on this show, uh, a program we started at the Claremont Institute called the uh, John Marshall Fellowship. The John Marshall Fellowship was designed to teach uh, promising legal scholars. Uh, graduates of law school, clerks for uh, judges uh, to teach them uh, about the natural law <coughs> tradition of our <coughs> founding and constitution. She is a product of it, and it's great. But I noticed that there is this thing that, uh, yes, was written up by Jacob Sullum over in the New York Post that she's getting an awful lot of criticism uh, from the types at MSNBC. Uh, I have heard it on uh, other other um, other publicly funded radio stations. I think you know what I mean. And um, and and here's what Jacob Sullivan writes. He said, quote, did you know that the federal judge who vacated the federal mask mandate for airline and public transit passengers Monday is only thirty five? The New York Times thought that detail was important. And so did Slate legal writer Mark Joseph Stern. The fact that critics of U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel's 59-page decision focused on her age rather than her reasoning reflects the confusion of people who tend to assume that any COVID-19 control measure they view as sensible must also be legal. I heard it on MSNBC, MSNBC too, and they were not only criticizing her uh, for her age, uh, but uh, for the ABA, the American Bar Association, which is a leftist institution, not liking her, uh, they gave her an unqualified rating uh, when she was nominated by Donald J. Trump. You should wear that if you are a judge um, as a badge of honor. What the ABA considers qualified and unqualified has nothing to do with the actual words qualified and un. 
qualified. But as long as they want to make an issue of her age, I don't know why they should. I mean, you just add six years and you can be president of the United States, as Theodore Roosevelt was perfectly fine. Add another year and you get John Kennedy. Um, But if we want to talk about age, let's have a conversation about public service and age. I will tell you right now that one federal district court judge in Florida has a lot less impact on my life and your life than lawmakers who pass legislation by the day that affects all of our lives and all of our friends' lives and all of our families' lives and not only the lives here but when it comes to issues having to do with international relations – affects other people's in other countries' lives, too. You want to make an issue of age? Let's make an issue of age. I'm up for it. The president pro tem of the Senate, Pat Leahy, is 82. Um, the, um, the senior senator from California who sits on the Judiciary Committee, Diane Feinstein, is 88. Two stories this week about Diane Feinstein um, show that people, colleagues, are worried about her being mentally unfit to continue carrying on her work as a United States senator. Remember, sits on powerful committees like uh, judiciary. She is not a chairman anymore, but she is on these committees. Um, You want to make an issue of age? Let's make an issue of the Speaker of the House's age, Nancy Pelosi, 82. Uh, How about the President of the United States, Joe Biden, 79? Do you think the mental faculties for all these people are intact. We have stories from the San Francisco Chronicle about Diane Feinstein's mental unfitness. Um, I don't think Pat Leahy is very coherent. I know Joe Biden is not coherent. And I have seen, though she does better than most of them, I have seen Nancy Pelosi stumble many, many times in ways that don't make sense, including on Sunday morning shows and including during the State of the Union address where she's standing up and clapping in a weird way at an inopportune moment. So you want to make an issue of age? Let's have an let's make issues of age. Now, let's make an issue of science when it comes to this, too. I want to credit Scott Johnson for writing this up over at the Powerline blog. It was only last week. Let's remember this. It was only last week that the CDC extended its transportation mask mandate another 15 days. Remember that? We were making fun of it. People seem to have forgotten that. That would mean until May 3rd. They extended the mask mandate on transportation, airplanes, buses, trains, you name it, to May 3rd. Now, the AP omits this interesting fact from its story on the administration's deliberations over whether to appeal Judge Mizell's ruling on the illegality of the mandate. The AP story goes this way, quote, the Justice Department said Tuesday it will not appeal a federal district judge's ruling that ended the nation's federal mask mandate on public transit unless the CDC believes the requirement is still necessary, close quote. Students of ancient history may recall last week's extension and wonder what has changed. Did they make a mistake last week? Why is this important? Because the CDC is now going to appeal Judge Mizell's ruling. You think they can get an appeal in a hearing before May 3rd comes and goes? Probably they can not. Probably they can't. Students of ancient history need to remember this 
because last week the rule was we're going to extend it for two weeks. Did anyone ever see, by the way, if we're talking science, did anyone ever see the CDC issue any kind of scientific finding that COVID by May 4th will be over in America and that they can release the mask mandates after May 3rd? Where did this two-week extension come from? Reading the AP story, Scott Johnson writes, I infer they confront a crisis of the faith. They face the anxiety of disbelief. Now, here's what's weird about it. When President Biden aged 79, was asked about this federal district court ruling two days ago and what Americans should do, he said Americans are going to have to decide for themselves what they want to do given this ruling. Okay. Okay. Jen Psaki the next day was asked whether they would appeal it. She said that's a decision for the CDC and the Department of Justice. Does she not know that she is the spokesman for an administration that runs the Justice Department and the CDC, that this decision to do so would normally only come after approval from the president to the day before, said people will have to make up their own decisions? And now we learn today the CDC is actually going to appeal this ruling. I'm going to tell you, I believe we will not get a decision on this if we even get a hearing on it before May 3rd, before this thing expires of its own um, of its own date extension from what the CDC announced a week ago. Now, it's entirely possible May 3rd will come and the CDC can by ipsy dixit or fiat say we're going to extend it another two weeks. I want reporters to demand the science on this. I want them to ask for the research on what these extensions are based on. HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra says, quote, we will respect the ruling. But as I say, I'll respect the ruling and follow the science. What is he talking about? Does he not know that his own CDC is now appealing the ruling? And yeah, As long as he is the secretary of HHS, let's get the science on it, shall we? I'd like to see it. I believe it's a lot more flimsy, a lot more flimsy than Judge Mizell's ruling. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Portions of the show are brought to you by the Midas Gold Group. First, we were told that spending trillions on COVID relief and blue state bailouts would not generate inflation. Then we were told that inflation would be transitory. One company got it right from the beginning, and that's my personal precious metals dealers at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. As Washington politicians push the largest budget in American history and the Fed continues to pump money into the system, what happens next? What will China do with their U.S. Treasury holdings as the value is whipped away amid the Biden inflation? Midas Gold Group will give you the latest inflation projections and ask them. you can ask them for their free guide to owning physical gold in your IRA. No commitment required. Midas Gold Group, 480-360-3000. Don't deal with questionable gold salesmen and avoid mail order nightmares. Deal with the knowledgeable and reputable company that I do, that Seb Gorka does, that thousands of you do. That's the Midas Gold Group, MidasGoldGroup.com. 
A little bit about uh, some politics here uh, coming up. Uh, Listener Joe writes me uh, about Ron DeSantis. He says Florida under his leadership is going from being a purple state on its way to becoming a red state. Governor DeSantis is always on offense and doesn't hold back. He should be the benchmark for Republicans going forward. And no doubt DeSantis has built on what Trump started, not letting the left and their media minions paint a distorted narrative on you or conservatism or what conservatives believe. He's bold and unapologetic and showing weak Republicans how to move the ball Forward from taking on Disney, no easy task, to fixing election fraud and corrupted counties, from tackling gerrymandering, which has plagued Florida for decades. He is truly moving that state to a conservative stronghold. I can't say enough about him. No doubt he's the best governor in the country. He's building on MAGA. You folks agree? Do you agree with that assessment? I do. I think that's right. I think DeSantis is showing two things, three I think he is showing Republicans how to fight. But more importantly, he's showing them that it's okay on serious cultural issues. I think there has been an allergy by too many Republicans. I don't think. I know. I've seen it. I've seen it over the years. I've seen it one-on-one over the years. There has been an allergy and a hesitation by many a Republican to take on cultural issues Because they're afraid of the backlash and they're not so sure they're right. It's kind of a kind of a version of what Buskirk and I called conservative Stockholm syndrome in our book, American Greatness. The notion that, you know, because so many elite cultural leaders say something different than what you believe, you may be wrong and they may be right. Do your homework. Do your homework. That's what Ron DeSantis is showing, because not much bad will happen to you if you know what you're talking about and you take a strong stand. What's the worst that will happen to you? What is the worst that will happen to you based on the Ron DeSantis example? You will get editorial after editorial after editorial condemning you. And so what? Because you want to know what? If you're a moderate Republican, you will get editorial after editorial after editorial Condemning you. I have seen this firsthand, too. When I was um, a younger man, (laughs) I lived in Massachusetts for a little while. And one of my first jobs, uh, legal jobs, was working in the uh, Office of Legal Counsel for then Governor William Weld. William Weld was the Republican governor of Massachusetts at the time. And people could have uh, made made fun of me. Uh, for that if they wanted to, uh, if the, and, and some did. But as I pointed out, in Massachusetts, that's all we had. That's all we had. And William Weld had some pretty good ideas, um, certainly libertarian uh, and conservative ideas when it came to things like welfare reform. And uh, he made some great judicial uh, appointments to the state uh, Supreme Court and that sort of thing. But he, he was the best we had. He's not much of a conservative anymore. And I remember he decided that he thought it would be a good idea to take on John Kerry for the U.S. Senate because he represented this new modern Republican. His popularity was very high. This new modern moderate Republican notion that, you know, you can give the Democrats a less hard version of what, you know, Reagan and Gingrich stood for 
um, and they'd like it. And it's fool's gold. And he got thumped by John Kerry. It's fool's gold. Moderate Republicans take this message, please, 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 please. Look at who tends to win. Look who tends to be the heroes of our movement. And look who does actually peel off Democrat votes. Those who drive hard. Your Ronald Reagans, your Donald Trumps, your Ron DeSantis's, because Democrats who are liberals and the media, which is liberal, they don't want to vote for someone who will give them 80 percent of what they believe. They want to vote for someone who will give them 100 percent of what they believe. Think about it. Why, if you are a committed left winger or liberal, would you want to have a Republican, William Weld, who you will disagree with on, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of the time, or a John Kerry who will give you everything you want 100 percent of the time? It's fool's gold. And it's fool's gold to sit back and not take on these strong cultural issues. Again, if you do your homework and know what you're talking about, like Ron DeSantis does, and like a whole new crop of, I think, Republican leaders do and do understand. Just something I wanted to say about Ron DeSantis that I think is worth considering when you look at what he is taking on today. Taking on Disney is not a small deal. No, it is not. Taking on gerrymandering is not a small deal. No, it is not. Taking on the teachers' unions is not a small deal. No, it is not. It's an interesting set of discussions, too, that he has brought to the forefront, just as Glenn Youngkin in Virginia has brought to the forefront. What is it? What's going on with our kids? What's going on in the schools? What's going on in public education? And once we looked under that hood, we found a lot wanting and a lot to be concerned about. So concerned, so concerned, and this will be the topic of my monologue later in the show, that when all someone does, like the woman who runs libs of TikTok on Twitter, when all they do, all they do is reproduce the statements that woke progressive teachers themselves made and publicized on places like TikTok, they have to try and shut her down and shred her up and make an issue of her personal life. That's the war we're in right now. That's the fight. And you can either join it or get out of the way. But don't condemn people like Ron DeSantis for joining it and winning it. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with the great John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. What a great company uh, based and headquartered up there in North Scottsdale. His website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, and he has his own radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Happy Wednesday, John. Happy Wednesday. Boy, are we really in North Scottsdale when you think about it? Scottsdale, let's see, we're at uh, the 101 in Shea, but that used to be North Scottsdale, but you can go all the way up almost into Carefree to be North Scottsdale now. You're on the 101 in Shea? Yeah. North Scottsdale, to me, growing up, sure. was anything north of Camelback. Yeah. that's It really was. Yeah. No, it really was. right. At, at that time, that was what, back in the 30s, 40s? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. 
I'll embarrass you. It was I the Reagan know. administration. You there you go. How's you that? <laughs> anyway, John, yes, talk to me, brother. What's going on in the economy today? Uh, some ups and downs. This Netflix story, we started on it yesterday. That's mm-hmm. that's become a huge headline in the economy, right? Uh, yeah, that really was a uh, little bit of a, a you know a burden on the uh, markets today. We did see the Dow have a decent day today, but the uh, tech stocks really struggled because of this. S&P, uh, NASDAQ. Yeah, I yeah. mean, but this is – you're right. We talked about it yesterday, and it's very possible we're going to see some of these other – uh, online, uh, you know, these subscription-based television yep. and movie type of uh, programs. People may just decide, you know what, I'm not going to pay it anymore. It's it's just just too much. Well, there is a lot. There are a lot of them now. Yes. And you know, Netflix, I think, disrupted disrupted the entertainment industry when it came initially, online yeah, initially. Yeah. yeah. But you know, uh, people made a better mouse trap, and um, and I think its offerings aren't as good as some of the others, like uh, CNN Plus. <laughs> no, that's worse yet, isn't it? Awful? Oh my, I mean, gee, <laughs> Chris yes. Wallace left Fox in a big to do, yeah, oh, to join yeah. CNN He's Plus, make it big in CNN Plus, yeah. yeah, CNN Plus, which poured out millions. Yeah. To advertise, what does it have? Nothing more than 10,000 views? Yeah. Powerline I mean, said, we pour out $600 a month and we, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we have <laughs> six figures <laughs> views every yeah. every day, mm-hmm. you know? Pretty embarrassing. Um, but there's this, uh, this idea, Madison Avenue, Wall Street Journal says, Madison Avenue loves the idea of Netflix with ads to improve their revenue. I'm going to tell you right now, as a consumer, that's a bad idea. Yeah. That's just a bad idea. Do better content. Give us better content. And maybe take the Obamas off the board. Well, it's, it's become a very, happens, woke, a very woke, um, what would you call it, streaming service. Down down drastically. I mean, 36% yeah. was traded down and uh, lost 50, what, $56 billion off of its market cap So in one day of trading. So not, not, not a good day. I was reading a story, lest anyone ever accuse me of not reading CNN. I do. I do watch CNN sometimes. I do read it. I was reading a CNN story on the economy mm-hmm. saying, you know, this administration is really hobbled because a lot of people thought by now they would be going around boasting about the economy and how well it has recovered after Biden came into office. Not all of it is his fault, of course. I think a lot of it is, but not all of it. Right. There, the, the economy still has not great light at the end of the tunnel shining through yet, does it? No, and that's what this article does yeah. talk about. You're right, Seth. And, and you're right as far as, is it all his fault? No, of course not. No. You know, but there was signs that the economy wasn't going to continue to be as strong as it was. Right. But but there are policies that, you know, are being implemented by this current administration that certainly is not helping the right. recovery. Right. And, and that's really what they're talking about here, where uh, certain things that possibly could be done, mm-hmm. you know, when he talks about he's going to be, you know, pulling uh, some strategic oil, the oil out of the strategic uh, petroleum uh, Reserve, reserves, yeah, yeah. but it's a minimal amount. Oh, it's, it's inconsequential. It's inconsequential. It's not going to affect right. you know, anything, but it is important that they're getting the student loans, You know, still pushing the student loan uh, uh, agenda as far as uh, giving relief to that. What if, if we're at low unemployment set, that means all these people that have student loans that went out and got an education, they have jobs now. Why is it so important to cancel their their loans i john all of it and and there are things they could do if they were serious about making the economy uh helping helping people in a down economy or in an inflationary economy with rising gas prices they could suspend the gas tax 
Yeah, and they, also, they easily could do that. And I think they talked. Uh, it looks like the Justice Department is going to appeal the ruling. Yeah, uh, of the they're going to. Yeah, the CDs, right. which makes no sense to me when it's going to expire on May third anyway. Yeah, and that's not going to help the no. economy. Is no, that really not. good for the economy? No. No. All right. So much. All right. Well, what do we know better, don't we? Yeah, well, a lot. <laughs> Securities and advisory <laughs> services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Firm Nasipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Bless you, John. Thank you, too. Bye bye. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Usually at this time every week, we check in with uh, Brett Johnson. Uh, we call him our Robert H. Jackson Scholar in Constitutional Studies. Uh, he's out of town today, but he gave us another dear friend of mine and another great legal expert, Eric Spencer, also with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, a partner of Brett's. Uh, Brett, uh, Eric, what shall you be? Shall you be our Felix Frankfurter Scholar in Constitutional Studies? Does that work for you? I'm uh... I'm a poor substitute for Brad. I'm just happy to get to <laughs> You're great. I have known Eric for many years. Uh, first time guest on the show. I do want to get into some stuff uh, with you in Arizona. Um, but before we do that, as a first time guest on our show, Eric, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, a little autobiography, how you came to be doing what you're doing. Um, uh, support, uh, I suppose I'll start with the most important first. Um, I'm married. I have three young boys, uh, seven, nine, and 11. Um, I was an infantry platoon leader in the Army and, and did a 12-month tour in Baghdad. Um, uh, later, I was the state election director in Arizona for four years, and now I'm a partner at Stella Wilmer, and I've been practicing election law for about 15 years. Yes, you have, and doing so really well. And uh, it's been a, an honor and a pleasure to know you, and thanks for stepping in today. Really appreciate it, Eric. Something that's coming up and, and coming out a little bit here and there in the news um, – Petition challenges, candidate petition challenges. Can you talk to us about what these are and what we should know about them? Sure. Uh, this is the season. Um, <laughs> after candidates file their signatures with their respective election offices, all their opponents have the ability to review those signatures and see if they can't knock their opponents off the ballot. Um, uh, unlike initiatives, for example, where election officials conduct a pretty thorough review on their own, the system is totally different for candidates. Mm. Uh, the election officials only ensure that the number of signatures is there, but otherwise they leave it to political operatives and volunteers and candidates to go through those with a fine-tooth comb. And if you find enough deficiencies, you file a lawsuit. And, um, and so that's the way we vet whether candidates are allowed to appear on the ballot in Arizona. There were probably a 1,000 candidates uh, across the state, when you when you counter when you factor in legislature and and uh, U.S. Senate and uh -huh. governor and and all the counties and cities, and so um, that's probably millions of signatures that have been reviewed, and now the lawsuit period is underway. So, if a candidate running for office thinks another candidate's signatures or petition of signatures, uh, list of signatures to get them ballot access has problems, whether someone, what, what would those problems be? Someone not living in the district, maybe not an eligible voter in Arizona, maybe signed uh, two petitions when you are only allowed to sign one in a given race. These would be causes that another candidate might try to challenge on, right? Are, am I missing something here? No, that's totally correct. Those are the garden variety, rather easy challenges to mount. And I'd say those are the ones you named off or the, are the predominant. Mm -hmm. 
types of challenges, but there are more complex challenges that um, sometimes only election lawyers can spot. Um, it could be the eligibility of the person who circulated that petition. It could be um, signs of fraud that certain signatures have been forged. It could be uh, a missing statutory word in the heading or the affidavit, or it could be some sort of geographic impossibility that the person circulated uh, in one northern county and one southern county on the same day. So there is a, a large array of different things that are challengeable, but not registered or living in the wrong district or signed too many petitions are probably the most common that I see. Eric, refresh my memory on this, too, if you don't mind, in broad strokes if, if you want, but... Can anyone go around collecting signatures, or are, did, did we did we put in recently some some new requirements on that, or is that something that just gets debated a lot? I, I seem to res- recall some discussions about about that sort of thing, signature collection. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, in the initiative context, the legislature has has um, added to the requirements over the years, but in the candidate context, you merely have to be qualified to register to vote in Arizona. Okay, what that means is. Other than your geographic location, um, meaning you're allowed to collect signatures in Arizona if you don't live in Arizona, but otherwise you have to be qualified to register to vote. You have to be 18 years old by the general election. You can't be convicted of a felony without your civil rights having been restored. You can't be a non-citizen. So all the ways that you have to be qualified to register to vote also apply to your qualifications to circulate petitions for candidates. Now, for the initiatives, you say it's a little bit different. We've passed some legislation on that, have we? Right. I'd say the, you know, the one that has affected um, the industry the most is the ban on per-signature payment. Okay. The legislature has cracked down on a, on a perceived abuse by initiative circulators being incentivized to collect fraudulent signatures um, by the fact that they're going to get paid per signature, and the legislature determined that 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 created opportunities for fraud. There are arguments on both sides, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the most recent circulator-based laws, and and there is very little room for petition circulators in the initiative context to make errors. When it comes to the candidates, though, running for office, whether I, I guess we're talking anything from precinct committeemen to state legislature or higher state office, um, you can pay signature collectors, generally speaking. I mean, you wouldn't need you it for a PC, but 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 for a, a, a higher office, maybe. That's right. You can pay them without restriction. There's no requirement. Now, an out-of-state candidate circulator has to register okay. with the Secretary of State, but otherwise, um, there's no requirement for a paid candidate circulator to register with the circulator with the Secretary of State, or otherwise have their compensation system. Um, reviewed or second-guessed, so it's, it's pretty wide open there. And you can imagine why. Yeah. The legislature is made up of candidates. Yep. <laughs> they write the laws, yep. and hence the requirements are a little, a little more liberal in the candidate context. The initiative thing has always been interesting to me because I've always thought, Eric, that Arizona's kind of set itself up as a sitting duck of sorts for any out-of-state interest to come in and fund an initiative that would change our laws. And then along with the Voter Protection Act, you know, it, it's it's a fairly permanent change if it passes. That's still true, isn't it? It is. And there have been proposals introduced in each recent legislative session to deal with that perception that out-of-state moneyed interest can too easily affect public policy mm-hmm. in Arizona. 
by by funding an initiative that is almost impossible to amend right. once it passes. Right. So the legislature is trying to deal with that, deal with that through statute, but a lot of that would have to to entail an amendment to the Arizona Constitution. And so far, none of those have become law in recent years. Well, it's a unique thing, too, for Arizona, because I think we're the only state in the union that has that, or at least has one so regimented as our Voter Protection Act, I think. Am I right about that? I think I'm right about that. I think there might be at least one other state, okay. but I'm confident in saying that our version of the Voter Protection Act is is a straitjacket yeah. that is tighter than any other state. Yeah. And just for your listeners, you might not know, it means that if the legislature later wants to amend a law that was passed by voters, the legislature needs a three-quarter vote and needs to further the intent right. of right. the original um, proposal. And, and that standard in a polarized state like ours is nearly impossible. Yeah, nearly impossible. Once an initiative passes here, it's, it's in. Eric Spencer, great job. Thank you. Let this be the first of many more visits with us. I hope so. Let's hope Brett takes more vacation. Appreciate it. We'll start a fund. <laughs> Eric Spencer, exactly. bless you, sir. Godspeed and thank you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies are what I take and what I recommend and endorse. I take them every single day to boost my immunity, keep me healthy, keep me in great shape. The the fruits and veggies you take are just one daily dose. You just take them once a day. You can always take more if you want, if you want a little extra pick-me-up or whatever because you can't overdose on fruits and veggies. But they're made from fresh whole produce through their advanced cold vacuum process. The vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and veggies are preserved so you get the vital nutrition in each capsule. The equivalent of 10 servings, fruits and veggies a day. Why wouldn't you want to do that? If you go to order their fruits and veggies, go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Discount code BALANCE. Um, I want to circle back to something I was talking about a couple segments ago vis-a-vis moderate Republicans and the November election coming up and the situation Democrats are in. I am not here to tell you we're going to sweep in November. I think we have the potential to sweep in November. I don't think it is a foregone conclusion. I don't think we should rest on laurels. I think we should also expect the unexpected I think we should prepare for a lot of things that could throw us off track. One of the things could be a Supreme Court decision, particularly on Roe v. Wade. If there's a candidate out there that's running and is nervous about how to talk about that, if it's overturned, feel free to reach out to me. I have some thoughts on that I'm happy to provide you with. But I think a lot of things, if we're not ready and prepared and and, and really ready and really prepared, may not go our way. I don't put anything past the left. I don't put anything past the Democratic Party. I don't put anything past the media. You think the media didn't affect our election in 2020? You bet it did. Again, stay tuned for my monologue in the third hour, which is where I'm shifting it on most days to the third hour. We'll talk more about that. But interesting, too, is what Democrats are thinking right now. 
and what they're publishing that they're thinking right now. Rui Tixiera is one of these democratic strategists that people have said when you don't pay attention to what Rui Tuxiera writes, um, you err, that it's important. He's not the most famous. He's not on Fox News or CNN an awful lot. But he is a fixture in D.C. And when he writes something or says something, Democrats pay attention to it. And he has something on Substack talking about the teachable moment for the Democratic Party is reacquainting the party with the actual existing demographics of politics the country, of the country they live in. I'm going to spend some more time on that very point a little bit later in the show. Bill, remind me if I don't get to it, because I think the two most important things to keep in mind right now are, was anyone on an airplane anywhere or in an airport anywhere when the decision came down two days ago that didn't see cheering? Think about that. Think about that. People cheered the end of the mask mandate. They're cheering the end of liberalism. We need to seize it. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 